This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 93 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. Today we have Christy Schulte, and she has something to share with you. Some of you know her from the Mustang makeovers, and she's really fascinating, and also the curator of an early California saddle exhibit in Santa Barbara. Mmm, old leather. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month. And I'm with my producer, Coach Jen. Hi, Jen. Greetings. There. So we have a fun show coming up. I um, I did do these on my own, so I know you're going to be surprised when you hear them. These were really fun. And you know Christy Schulte, don't you? I have chatted with Christy Schulte before, so I'm really curious to hear what she has to say. She's a fascinating girl. Yeah. And it's all about this thing. She's really got a passion for this one project she's on and she's been on it for a few years and she knows her business and it's going to help horses. You'll love to hear about it. And so, um, so, and then I'll, the, the early California saddle exhibit, I, I can't wait to share that with you. I mean, it's in one of the oldest buildings in California, first of all, Santa Barbara Museum. Uh, it's, you know, it's five foot thick walls, Adobe. Oh, and, wow. uh, yeah, they've rebuilt it. It's just amazing. There are artists that came in in the early 1900s. Remember, nothing in California is very old. But in early early 1900s, artists came in and painted some of the rooms, painted some of the walls with their art. And they're now a famous, famous artist. They've been dead for years and years. Oh, really? They can't paint over them, right? You know, <laughs> They paint around them. It's beautiful, though. Absolutely. Well, how much better does it get than tack plus history? Hello? Just can you smell it? I mean, it's just like oh, absolutely wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we just don't get that age. But one place is much older than I was at recently. It was in Austria and specifically Vienna, specifically at the Winterschule, which is the big marble hall at the Spanish Riding School in the middle of Vienna. So the the school itself, the physical building, is actually smack in the middle of the city smack in the middle of the city it oh, is gorgeous it's on this plaza that is um cobblestones and all the carriage horses circle around that and there must be at any one time there's like 10 or 15 carriage horses and they're they're vis-a-vis and all the beautiful carriages and you just jump on one of those like taxis better than and go through the little cobblestone streets uh in in the carriages and they go around the cathedrals and everything but it starts right there i mean there's probably other parking places too but the parking place we spent the time at which was just right in the middle of the city was right in front of the spanish riding school I am I am so excited to hear about that trip. That's stay tuned, oh. folks. That's going to be coming up um, in a, in an upcoming episode very shortly. Because as a kid, I remember watching. I don't know if it was a documentary, if it was one of the Walt Disney episodes, because I was addicted to the you know Walt Disney wild wonderful world of Walt Disney. But yeah. it was a, it was a documentary style film, and it was all about not just the Spanish riding school, but the Piper stud where the horses are bred. Mm -hmm. And it was enthralling and beautiful and gorgeous and all that kind of stuff. So I can't wait to hear about it. 
Oh my gosh. You just picture the sound of music everywhere, right? Yeah. You know, up in the field. <laughs> Another favorite, the sound of music. The sound of music is everywhere. And then of course the, the streets of Vienna are just amazing. And Sasha Tord is that famous uh, Austrian, I was going to say dessert, but Hey, you can have it anytime you want. You could have it for breakfast if you want. It's just a beautiful um, memory from there, which is sort of a patented family handed down generation. It's just a beautiful thing. And so on, on August 15th, this is coming out on August 1st, on August 15th, we're going to have Monty Roberts tell us about the experience of being called in to demonstrate in the hallowed halls, no trainer on earth outside of the Spanish writing school trainers has ever been invited to demonstrate or train or do anything like that in the school itself. Um, and it was just, it was a shock, but it was also, well, you'll hear it in his own voice. Yeah, so let's, let's not give away any subject. No spoilers, no spoilers. I can't no wait. spoilers. You got to hear it from the horse's mouth. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on in your world? What do you got to share? Well, when I do these shows um, with you, it's it's fun because I get to reflect upon my journey as a horse person, as a, as a trainer and an equestrian and a, an enthusiast. And very recently, as a matter of fact, when, when you and I and Monty were chatting, I kind of had a light bulb moment. A, yeah. a member of my family, my Uncle Joe, who was very close to us, uh, he was sort of my mom's substitute dad growing up. He was very close. Uh-huh. He also had the horse bug. That's He was one of the members of the family that had the horse gene, along yeah. with my mom <laughs> and myself. And growing up, he was he was always there. He was always kind of a, what's the word I'm looking for? A, he was a quiet supporter. He was a very quiet man. He didn't talk much and he was always there just to make sure things were going okay. And he was, he wasn't um, upfront about it. He was always very subtle. So you never thought much about what uncle Joe was up to, but uncle Joe was always there. And early on um, my parents, along with another couple purchased a property and started a boarding stable. And along with the property, they got two horses, one horse. There were, there were stabled on the property, get this, how okay. ironic, um, three or four Tennessee walking horses. Mm-hmm. And they were the show types, the big lick horses. Oh, yeah. And Fancy. all of the things that you can imagine were there. It was it was a very uncomfortable situation. And when the property was sold, they had one yearling there that had never been touched. Oh, good. It, uh, the, at, when the mare foaled, they put her back into work, put her big shoes back on and put her back in her stall and just left the foal out mm. in the field. So they said, oh. well, you can just have that. <laughs> we'll, oh. we'll take our show horses and leave, but you can have that one. That one. Uh. And my Uncle Joe took it on. And I remember him talking about getting the horse's name was tar baby and i remember him <laughs> explaining to how how the breaking process worked i was Is like this nine. in the south no no we were in pennsylvania <laughs> okay and i remember him talking about the breaking process i was clueless i was like eight or nine years old and i was all big-eyed like what are you gonna do with tar baby well first don't get close to tar baby first and foremost <laughs> and he was he would tell us about how they broke the i don't think he called them mustangs because early on in his life, when he was a teenager, he lived out west, and they had strings of horses to do work with the cattle, and they were just strings of horses. Um, yeah, foundation and, horses. Yeah, and it, I don't think he called them mustangs, but he called them the horses. 
and <laughs> how they broke them, they would get the tack on them and they would buck them out. And then they would be broke because I remember asking one day, well, how do you do it? Well, you put the tack on and you buck them out. <laughs> oh, okay. And he said, well, the problem with that process is you have to do it every time you put the tack on. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's kind of weird because I thought a horse, once a horse was broke, a horse was broke. Well, I didn't know at that time that there's different ways to train a horse. Mm-hmm. And following that process of him training tar baby i'm not going to use the word broke because he didn't break him he trained him he gentled him he never Mm. once the horse never bucked the horse never got yelled at the horse was never touched with a whip it was the most gentle process and it was completely lost on me you were watching though you got to see i saw it it, but i didn't have any reference that there was any other way to do it so i was trying to when we talked we were talking to monty and he was talking about gentling wild horses. I'm like, oh, now I get it. Um, mm. That breaking a horse the cowboy way that my uncle grew up with as a teenager was what he refers to as the violent and painful way. Right. And it doesn't stick because the horse will take his first opportunity mm-hmm. to get himself out of that situation. Um, right. What we perceive as revenge. It will defend himself. Yeah, more like a flashback. But yes. yes, exactly. I mean, they. a lot of people say they lay in wait. <laughs> yes. And you don't know when. Yes, and, yeah. and he, as a rather enlightened man for his generation, he saw through that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's so nice that you, you have that in your family. You know, it's so great. And, you, and it's so nice that you can recognize it now. Don't you wish you could recognize it back then? But not everybody, I suppose, you know, so few people see their own horses ever started we like to say started rather than broken uh that they they often don't know what are the options on that on that deal there you know where they get their first battle yeah the the process of starting horses tends to be um it's lonely work sometimes Mm -hmm. by choice in that sometimes the trainer doesn't want anyone to see for (laughs) nefarious reasons but i think Mm -hmm. oftentimes people who are very good at that work um, tend to be introverts. They tend to be horse people, not people people. Mm-hmm. So they don't welcome the public in because they prefer not to be around lots of people all the time. I can relate to that being an introvert. So I see how it got that way and why it's that way. It's not necessarily good that it's that way. And I think it's kind of cool now that, for example, with the Gentling Wild Horses course that is going on out there at yeah. Flag is up farm. People are being invited in to not just participate directly, but to view and watch and learn. You don't have to know how to take the carburetor out of a car to understand mm-hmm. how a carburetor works. That's right. You know, it's, that's it's right. I think that's okay. really cool that those things are happening and people are understanding the value of understanding and observing, even if they're never going to start their own horse. To watch it and understand yes. how it works is is important. The coolest thing is you see the language as raw as it can be with these horses. For this Gentling Wild Horses course, we we literally go and adopt BLM Mustangs or bring them in, you know, uh, under an adoption umbrella of some sort. Whether they some of these actually came from the Forest Service this time and and things like that. So they they won't be sold for a year. That's the deal. Uh, but you know they'll sometimes be fostered by some of the people there. Some of them stay at the farm and are fostered by people that come. 
the, the point is though, that you get to see that raw, raw, raw horse language and you see how quickly it comes around. Um, and, and anytime you get exposed to seeing the language, you're better off, you know, five years down the road when you're working with that horse to know how their language has come through. So anybody who's gotten to know their horse over the years knows their idiosyncrasies, how they communicate, their sensitivities, all those little things. So imagine if you got to see it at the very beginning and saw how it manifests and then how you can take care of them through that, you know, how that you can, um, get build trust with them. It's, it would be even better. So even if, if people could just go in and, and watch their horse be started, if it was done in a gentle, which it should be done in a gentle way, I think they would even know their horse better. So I agree. With I, you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I think I encourage people to ask about that process. And if they're worried about, um, let's say the trainer said, no, I prefer you don't because I don't want you to <laughs> ooh ah over there yeah. <laughs> on the side, you know, then tell them, you know, here's a book that I believe in, or here's a DVD that I believe in. And I, I believe in this method here. And if you can do that for me and you can show me how you can do that with other horses first, then, uh, you know, then I'm happy to give you my baby. <laughs> and, and I think that's the way we, we ask these days. It used to be that you couldn't ask, but these days people are asking, or even they're doing their own. Um, you know, Christy Schulte, who we're going to talk to today, is um, definitely one of those who can do her own and is happy to. She's been in those Mustang makeovers, and a lot of people. And that's hey, young women these days. Where are the men? I don't. I I don't know. But the the young women can do them. Why? Because you don't have to be strong, and you don't. I mean, they're, these girls can hold their own, but you don't. Have have to be a big 250 pound guy to make it all happen. It's not you a wrestling be... match. Exactly. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. It's, it's not about how strong you are. It's about your timing. It's about your understanding of the horse and, um, athleticism helps uh, for sure. But it, you know, if you think about it, why would somebody like Christy Schulte or people who are starting horses these days want to get hurt? They don't want to get hurt. They got to do another horse in 30 minutes, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> right. So it's counterintuitive to think that they'd want to get beat up out there. So, you know, if, if we're intelligent, we'll start looking for better ways. Yep. And there, and there are better ways out there. And uh, let's, let's, uh, let's hear from our, our sponsor and then we'll chat with Christy. Your horse is your partner in sport, in leisure, and just in life. To keep him at his peak performance and optimal health, a solid nutritional foundation is key. Ideally, horses are able to graze fresh, growing grasses, which most closely mimic their natural diet. But that may not always be possible, and we may need to supply some of those missing ingredients in today's diets and provide more functional foods. One component of a horse's diet that is often underfed are omega-3 fatty acids. While more prevalent in fresh forages, harvested forages are lower in omega-3 fatty acids due to their more advanced maturity. Obviously, grasses and legumes have to grow to a sufficient height in order to be harvested, while foraging patterns of horses show great preference for shorter, less mature plants. That's why modern horsemen and horsewomen trust Omega Horse Shine to provide a powerful, bountiful source of omega-3 fatty acids for their equine partners. Look for Omega Horse Shine from Omega Fields at your local tack and feed supplier, or you can find them online at omegafields.com.
Christy Schulte manages the American Horse Council's Time to Ride program with a small but mighty team at her company, Lead Change Marketing, based just outside of Austin, Texas. She's a graduate of Colorado State University with degrees in equine science and business administration. Christy has worked at the program for four years, handling everything from communications, social media, marketing, and development, and is truly inspired by helping horse professionals share their passion with the next generation of new riders. Since 2014, Time to Ride has introduced nearly 100,000 new enthusiasts to the horse world. And in her spare time, Christy enjoys competing in stock horse events, and she's been the top 10 finalist in two extreme Mustang makeovers. And she and her fiancé, uh, they have two Mustangs right now. Oh, and also a very personable burrow who keep them on their toes. Well, welcome, Christy Schulte. What an impressive bio you have and how much fun you're having incorporating horses and your... Um, your ability to ride with a, a thing called Time to Ride Challenge. I'd love to hear more about that. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, thank you for taking some time out. I, I know you're a busy lady, and you've just come off your conference. And um, we wanted to know, what is the Time to Ride Challenge? Sure. The Time to Ride Challenge is the largest program of the Time to Ride Initiative, which is a movement that was started by the American Horse Council's Marketing Alliance about five years ago. And basically what happened was there were seven or eight companies, um, executives and leaders that got together at the Zoetis uh, Industry Leadership Forum and decided that we needed to do something together to get more people involved with horses and grow the horse industry in a really beginner-friendly and grassroots way and help just more people get started with horses and just get to help them learn where to ride a horse and how that horses can really be so beneficial physically, mentally, emotionally to, you know, we think everybody, obviously, we're a little bit biased, but um, this, this movement was born really to just introduce more people to horses and grow our industry. And so the challenge is our largest program within that. Okay. So the time to ride challenge, is it just about riding? Then it sounds like you're even broadening that just to be accessible to horses, um, advocating for horses. Yeah. We, we, I think the most common activity that people take up is typically horseback riding, but we have a lot of our participants that offer driving and unmounted horsemanship, mm -hmm. um, even volunteer training at uh, therapy centers or rescues. Yeah. And we, like I said, I think uh, riding is the most common way, but we really just encourage people to get involved in any way that they're interested in horses because there are so many different things you can do that are fun and um, enjoyable. Yeah. Okay. So this is aimed at everybody. I love that. Nice broad market for that. And and that's us too. I, um, Horsemanship Radio, we, we advocate for just keeping horses in our lives, um, which is a big part of it. But horsemanship is, hey, that's in the saddle, that's on the ground, and that's anytime you're around them. So tell us about the Time to Ride Challenge then. So this is individuals that are hosts. Um, what does that look like? Sure. So this is a it's a nationwide contest, what it is. And we give away actually $100,000 in cash and prizes. This will be the fourth year wow. that we've done it. So, yeah, it's an annual contest started in 2014 so this will this will be our fourth year in 2017 and really what we're doing is encouraging horse professionals to do new, newcomer outreach we call what we call a newcomer is somebody that 
hasn't been involved with horses either ever in their lives or maybe was involved several years ago and is getting back into it. So somebody that maybe has, you know, gone on a trail ride once on vacation or always collected briar horses but never had a way to get hands-on involved. And so these horse professionals, who we call hosts, are out there putting on really great beginner-friendly outreach events either at their stable, at their ranch, out in their community, to a school group, anything that really can connect with families that aren't currently involved with horses and help them get involved in a fun and safe and educational way. And the hosts that introduce the most people to horses throughout the summer win their share of that cash and prizes. Good. Okay. So that's encouraging. How do you pick your professionals? Is this some certification or an association? So it's actually open to all all kinds of horse professionals. The most common competitor that we have is somebody that runs a farm and teaches riding lessons as some sort of aspect of their business, but we have everybody from club leaders to um, therapy center managers, a lot, we have a lot of CHA professionals, um, a lot of people that are AQHA professionals or APHA, um, but really the uh, kind of like the way we're open to all different kinds of activities, we're open to all kinds of um, horse experts. They, there are some um, insurance and legal requirements that I won't bore you with here, but okay. um, they're, they're not required to be certified or registered with any particular organization. Um, it's just these business owners that are really good at what they do, really good at uh, introducing people to horses and sharing whatever their um, area of specialty is and are just awesome at being ambassadors for the world of horses. Perfect. I love that. So you threw a lot of initials out there and people can Google those and find out who you were talking about. But, um, but I love that you've kept an open, open mind to professionals too. Um, how does this help the horses? What do you, what do you think the horses are, are, how are they benefiting out of this? Oh, absolutely. We hear stories all the time about these, how these outreach events are affecting our hosts, um, their businesses and, it, it really results in more horse-human connections. A lot of places are, they're doing simple things like growing their business, getting more lesson students and clients, but also things like, um, we just heard a story today about an 87-year-old woman with uh, dementia who is not, she's uh, really not very verbal anymore, and she came out to one of these outreach events, um, went up to this one horse and really connected with him and started to talk again, and her family hadn't spoken to her in a while. And yeah, they they learned about how she she used to ride and or used to love horses, and just all these things that they had never known about their own mother. And so it's really it's really amazing to hear these stories of how a certain person can connect with a certain horse, and these horses help them really unlock parts of themselves that they may not have been in touch with before. And a lot of times, this also results in you know, more volunteers for uh, a rescue or a a therapy program and that kind of thing. Yeah, sure it would. It would, I think the stories are always what makes the, uh, the interest grow and the passion grow because um, sometimes you feel a little uh, with horses, uh, like a little uh, like an Island, if you're not in a competition with a discipline and I don't know what the statistics are and maybe you do, but I know it's a huge percentage of people that, have access to horses um, that don't really tie themselves to a, 
a competitive discipline, um, that it's mostly the leisure rider. Um, so when you're feeling like a little bit of like an island, you want to hear that other people are connecting with horses too. So, um, sounds yeah. like a fun way to do. So you, so these people, let's say there's somebody out there who said, boy, I'd really like to start riding again. It's been, you know, the kids are grown and they're off to college or whatever. Um, so this, this professional you're looking for, is there a website where we go find where these time to ride challenges are happening or? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Our website is timetoride.com and all of the professionals that are hosting outreach events are listed there and all of their events are listed there as well. Um, we actually have over 600 events already scheduled for mm -hmm. this summer and that it, the challenge began May 1st and runs through September. So they're, hugely active. They're out there. They're putting on events almost every single day. Um, and that, again, is all at our website at timetoride.com. We have a really cool map that's interactive, and you can see what stables are near you, um, see if they're holding some events, and figure out that, you know, there's all kinds of different ways. We have amazing things from, um, you know, a meet a unicorn expo to learn how to ground drive all, all really just it runs the gamut of all these ex cool things that you can do that's really cool yeah driving too yeah. I'm, I'm glad you included that too that's becoming kind of a, a fun new uh, diversion too i was reading about uh the fact that you are plucking some of these hosts that are the most creative and you're spotlighting them on a blog or something i think something about that am i right yes yeah, we have um, our my uh, we have a new staff member here, Sarah, who's been doing some really awesome interviews with the host, and we call it Spotlight Saturday. So every Saturday, she posts a story and a testimonial from one of our hosts that has been successful, either because they've gone above and beyond with their marketing, or they've just had a really unique experience that's worth sharing. And what I haven't really mentioned yet is that the challenge is really what we do is a lot of encouraging and helping these hosts market themselves. And what what they do with horses, they're really, really good at. But mm -hmm. sometimes they either aren't necessarily as interested or don't have the time to go out and market themselves, and we help give them some really simple tools to just basically show the people in their community what they're offering and how it's right there for the taking. And so, for example, um, one of her one of the spotlight interviews that Sarah did was with a uh, woman named Kathy Richardson up in Roy, Washington, who owns Rusty Bar Ranch. And her idea was to take a, a test ride event to her local, um, it was like an RV and camper show. And so she met all these families that, of course, they're there and they've expressed an interest in being outdoors and kind of uh, leisure activities in nature and thought, hmm, if they're interested in RVing, they might be interested in horseback riding. So she took her event over over there to that show and just had a huge success. And, and then, of course, we'll encourage those people to come out to her barn, learn how to ride and um, get into trail riding or uh, if they want to, you know, however they want, however far they want to take that with their families, that kind of thing is what really sets her apart and what we've been mm -hmm rewarding and, and talking about in the spotlight Saturdays. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's a great idea because anybody who's, I mean, I love Washington anyway. I, I lived up there for years and uh, not too oh. far from, not too far from where she was, where she is. Oh. And yeah, and it is very outdoorsy. I mean, you, you know, they, they deny the rain, by the way. Um, right. <laughs> as much yeah. as it rains, it's like, it's not raining. Uh, my hair is wet. No, but that's not rain. That's just. <laughs> They're just used to it. <laughs> just used to it. it. Ironic that it's the rusty bar ranch too. Nah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but so you're effective. We've been hearing about that. We introduced you as, as, um, 
having challenged, uh, I think, over about a hundred thousand newcomers to the to the joys of horse activities, which is just great. Yeah. And and what's the goal this year? How many do you think you can affect by uh, by the end of this summer? Oh well, we're always looking to do better than last year. So I think I think internally we would be we'd be thrilled with twenty eight or thirty thousand. Wow. Um, that's that's yeah, that seems to be right about what we we can be on par with. And really, what that means is that you know thirty thousand new people across the country have met a horse and learned where they can get involved with that horse, what it means to them, and what what you know see the smile that that horse puts on their daughter's face or how that helps maybe a father and son connect over something that they hadn't been able to connect before. So that's the real impact of it, and it's so fun to hear those stories. Yeah, good. We want to hear more stories, too. We'll have you back about that, too. And and in a safe environment, I think that's a really important thing to note, too, that if you're putting professionals around you, you can be sure that they're going to give you those tips that are uh, going to keep, right. you, keep you in the middle of that saddle and, and, and enjoying the the experience exactly. too, which is the most important way to to win hearts and and uh, advocate for horses. So um, I'm reading a little bit about your background too, and I know that you graduated from Colorado State University. Here's the unusual part for us horse girls: you you had a double degree, if I'm reading it correctly, in equine science yes. and business administration. Yes. Center yeah. of the target for this. Center of the target for this. So you're helping businesses and you're um, advocating. Uh, good behaviors in horses. <laughs> good. Yeah, exactly. Well, I always tell people that I couldn't do my job without both of my degrees. I started out as an equine science major, and CSU has, you know, in my unbiased opinion, the best program in the country um, for equine science. And I got about to my sophomore year, and I thought, well, I don't, I don't want to be a veterinarian. I don't, I don't think I want to be a full-time horse trainer. So what, what am I going to do when I get out of here? And I was really intrigued by the business side of it, and I loved talking about marketing, and so I actually added my double major um, as a sophomore, and um, I do feel really lucky to be able to combine those two um, degrees here at Time to Ride, and what what has been so fun is just to kind of be creative with these hosts and help them come up with some stuff that's uh, just simple and easy to implement, but makes a really big impact in it. I think it's been helpful that I do have that horse background and mm-hmm. understand where the horse people are coming from, but also kind of be able to help them uh, straddle both sides of the fence over into the marketing area and, and help them, again, just find out a couple things that they can implement easily and really make a big di- difference in their businesses. Yeah, uh, good. Well said. I, and I think you're a little bit like the uh, the old saying of the harder you work, the luckier you get, because it sounds like yeah, you're, exactly. you're working hard <laughs> to make that luck. But uh, did you ever get around or be able to take a class from Temple Grandin, one of my heroes? Yeah, I actually, I never took a full course from her, but she guest lectured in, oh, probably four or five of my courses. And actually one of them that was probably the most impactful lecture that she gave was actually in when I was in the business school in one of my marketing courses. And that was, you may have heard her speak about this, but how the world needs all different kinds of minds. No, I haven't. Sounds good though. Oh yeah. It was so interesting. And it was all about, that was why it was so funny because when she, when we heard she was coming, I was so excited. I was like, oh, this, you know, big celebrities coming to my marketing class. And everyone else was like, who is Temple Grant? And yeah. I was like, you guys are crazy. You need to know who she is. She's yeah. this international expert, and she's right here, our you know, our very own at CSU. Um, so yeah, I did uh, did get to have several courses from her, or pieces of courses from her, and I just love them. 
Fascinating. Yeah, what's do you have a favorite book by her? Um, so many. You know, I I I don't think that she wrote took that lecture that she gave to us in that class and put turn it into a whole book that I know of, but that really is my favorite. Mm. She may have turned it into a TED talk or Oh, I'm gonna mm. go look for that. Yeah. 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 Cause she I hope is, I'm not she, making that up. But it's it was about <laughs> You know how the the world needs all different kinds of minds, and how by seeing things differently, um, you can really do do incredible things and be creative and solve problems in a way, sort of an unconventional way. Yeah, she um, she's one of for those who might not know, she's one of the most preeminent uh, behavioral sciences, especially in the animal animal sciences on Earth, mostly because she's a high functioning autistic and um, and a professor. And um, I, I think that if you Google her, Temple Grandin, G-R-A-N-D-I-N, you'll be amazed. And there was a movie made about her as well, so if you want to go looking for that. but And tell us a little yeah. bit quickly before we, we lose your time here. Um, you enjoy competing in stock horse events. What's, what's, your favorite, what's your favorite event? Well, I, I've been showing in the um, Stock Horse of Texas events, and I, I, I don't know that I could pick a favorite. I, I love the versatility of it and how you have to be good in four different events and mm-hmm. It's so challenging. Um, just makes sure that I always have something to work on with my horses. So that's kind of what I've been doing um, recently, and uh, really has taught me a lot so far. So much fun. Yeah. So, are you, have you always ridden just Western, or have you ever tried some high points? <laughs> no, believe it or not, I actually grew up in Connecticut, so I am a real, true Yankee at heart. And I grew up riding English. I rode with a really amazing dressage trainer. Um, who was very classically trained and um, the fundamentals and was the kind that, you know, would take 10 years to make a horse, but then that horse would be the greatest thing you ever sat on. And so I, I got a really great solid background from her. And then when I went to CSU, I basically did anything that I could to get my butt in the saddle. So I, I didn't own a horse. I just rode friends' horses. I played on the polo team and then I um, started riding Western more there when I was involved with their legends of ranching sale, where the students actually train, they uh, start and train two and three year old colts and then consign them to the sale. Um, so that was really when I started riding Western more seriously. And, um, and then since then, I've uh, taken that to the stock horse arena and the extreme Mustang makeovers. Yeah, we couldn't get away without asking you about that, too. So you go from Connecticut to two different and top 10 finalists in extreme make- Mustang makeovers, which is just amazing. You want to give a, a thumbnail of what the extreme mustang makeover is of course yeah it, if you haven't heard of it yet i i don't know how that's possible but <laughs> they um they're really fun it's basically horse trainers take a wild mustang or you know uh, relatively some some of them are very recently gathered some of them have been gathered a little bit uh longer ago and they train it for about 120 days so it's a very short window um and basically everyone gets as far as they can in that that time period and then come back and compete in uh three different events um usually it's a handling course where you show that the horse is gentle you can load in a trailer pick up his feet and that kind of thing uh then there's usually a pattern course and pattern class and a trail course and then the top 10 from that go on to a freestyle finals and i think that's what's made the makeover so successful is you can pick your music, you can use costumes and props, and people get so creative and just show what they've done with their horses. And it's it's a lot of fun. There's some prize money, and then the horses go up for adoption at the end, and the whole 
goal is to make these previously wild Mustangs available to an adopter that maybe is interested and wants to try out a Mustang, but isn't necessarily interested in getting in the round pen with one that's fresh off the range. Yeah. (laughs) Not as crazy as you are. That's (laughs) right. Exactly. (laughs) What, what is the most extreme thing you did in any of your freestyles? Well, let's see. So both of my, I have named all three of my uh, makeover horses after Elton John songs, which most people, when they hear that, like laugh, and then they ask how I got into that, and I honestly have no idea. But uh, my probably my favorite freestyle that I actually didn't get to use was my the second year that I did it when I didn't make the finals was a uh, my horse was named Rocket Man, and so I had this whole routine where I dragged a little rocket ship that I had built into the arena and did a little pattern where I ended up jumping over the rocket and you know, carried an American flag and stuck it in the moon and that kind of stuff. But I, I never got to share that with the world. So now that I, now I've spilled the secret, I won't be able to use it if I make uh, it. Canceled. Well, at least you yeah. claimed it. You claimed it. So that's, and that's you claimed right. it here. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Well, they're, they're a lot of fun and, uh, people, people should look into those if you enjoy Mustangs and, and you enjoy the versatility and the, um, exactly. oh, they're just, they're so, so willing. They're so smart and so willing. Uh, but they're survivalist. Uh, it, it does make sense when you think about their, their um, extreme survivalist uh, instincts, uh, but they seem to go much quicker, I think, than the sort of feral horses that are, um, you know, more the rescue horses because they are um, such survivors. That they're amazing horses. They are, and they learn so quickly, which is, you know, it's great. And then it also is a is such a very clear mirror back to what you're doing with them because they they do something good and you're like, oh yeah, he learned that, you know, one or two repetitions and now he's an expert. And then he does something that you don't like and you're like, hmm, well, he must have also learned that from me. He even saw though that I too. That. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. They are great mirrors. I think that's one of my favorite word for horses in, in general period too. But Mustangs are so sensitive. Yeah. They, they're they a, a very accurate mirror. Maybe they're a blow up mirror. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A magnifying mirror. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, Chrissy, thank you so much for coming on and and telling us a little bit about this exciting Time to Ride Challenge. I hope people will go and look that up. And um, congratulations to those hosts that are winning your spotlights and want to hear more about uh, uh, how that happens all over the nation. And I hope we have you on again. Tell us some more stories maybe at the end of the summer. Yeah, I would love to do that. Tell you how the rest of the challenge went. And I thank you so much for having me. And I, I do encourage everybody to Check out our website or our Facebook. We're just time to ride on Facebook. And um, just think about, you know, who you can share your horses with today or this week and how we can all be better at being good ambassadors for the animals that we love so much. Thank you. That's a great challenge. Thanks very much, Christy Schulte. Hi, Carol Herter here, president of Cavallo, home of the world's most trusted and popular hoof boots. You know, one of the most interesting parts of what I do is the many horsey stories I get to hear. Most of them are really uplifting. Some are stories of challenges, and a few are downright sad. Recently, a wonderful woman took the time to approach us at a show to share a story about her horse who went down in quicksand. It started out as a really scary story. We were holding our breaths, waiting for the outcome, and it turned out wonderful. They winched the horse out relatively unscathed, albeit, you know, a little traumatized, and everyone standing around were super amazed that he still had his cavallo hoof boots on. Scary story with a good ending. Another testament to cavallo. If you don't have a pair for your horse, it's time. 
Cavallos are easy to put on, easy to take off when you want to take them off, and they stay on. They stay on in all terrain. Cavallo, the world's most trusted hoof boots. Lynn Brittner, Executive Director at the Santa Barbara Historical Museum, is exhibiting right now something called In the Saddle. It's from Will Rogers to Ronald Reagan's saddles. It's amazing. The Santa Barbara Historical Museum is exhibiting the Vaquero culture with a fascinating display of saddles by legendary makers such as Sherman Loomis, uh, Edward Bolin, and the Visalia Stock uh, Saddle Company. There is Western art by Nicholas Furfires and Edward Boreen. People will know these names if you know a little bit about the old West history. Along with the authentic attire, they have the the costuming and everything and fascinating stories of the cowboy way of life. And it's open right now to through September 3rd. And I don't know if we'll be moving on. So go after it right now. And here's from Lynn Brittner. Well, welcome Lynn Brittner, the executive director of the Santa Barbara Historical Museum. And that's obviously in Santa Barbara. I'm very excited to be here. And, um, how are you today? I'm good. I'm, I'm so happy you're here. Um, we just went through the saddle exhibit in the saddle it's amazing. It's amazing exhibit. So the the background here is that dad, Monty Roberts, came through here in Santa Barbara. Of course, he lives just over the hill with my mom. And they were dying to see this new exhibit that had opened up. But there's nothing new in it. Some of these saddles are very, very old, aren't they? Yes. And, um, you know, when your dad came in, it's always so much fun to be around someone who knows artifacts, and I'm talking about the saddles so well, that he was reading them like a book. He would point things out that I never would have noticed, and I've seen these saddles a lot, putting the exhibit together, but he was able to point out all the details of um, the floral designs, uh, the saddle work, the um, stamping, and the intricate designs of the silver and and also um, the types of saddles that we have that were able to fit the horse in different ways that made the horse more comfortable. Mm. It was more of a, a concern about how these saddles would wear the horse, not wear the horse down, mm. to the point that other cowboys from different states would come to California to buy saddles because of the way saddles were designed to um, to work with the horse better. Mm, yeah. So these designers of these saddles became famous uh, amongst themselves, I imagine. So they were part science, it sounds like, and part artist because they had to fit a horse's back enough to be comfortable so that all day long they can chase these cattle around um, and do the work that the Californians, early Californians were doing to survive. But they also made beautiful, beautiful leather and silver works, like you said, too. So is that why they became famous as artists or did they become more famous as craftsmen? Well, from what I understand, it's a combination. You know, we've had three um, curators curate this exhibit Bill Reynolds from San Inez, Tom Peterson, the director of the um, Carriage Museum here in Santa Barbara, and then Susan Jensen and Paul Singer are the editors and the producers of a series of um, Vaquero documentaries. And they they put together all these videos where we can get more in-depth information about um, saddle makers and the people who rode these um, uh, horses 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're beautiful. I and mean, they put together documentaries that really flesh out your exhibit. But we should tell people a little bit, what's the exhibit look like? Because this isn't a visual medium, this is an audio. And uh, I feel like we've kept a secret from them about how, how they look in there. So when you walk into this, this it's a temporary museum. Um, exhibit that's going on in, in a museum where you have a lot of permanent exhibits. Um, so how long does it get to stay here? From Till what time does it break up? At the end of August, did you well, say? Well, it's, it's a temporary exhibit. It will break down in September. And this, this exhibit really is a, a true immersive experience because when you walk in, not only do you hear horses from these wonderful um, visuals, these um, movies that are being shown, but also you, you kind of smell the yeah. saddle when you leather. There's so many and, yeah. saddles. There's over 30 saddles in this exhibit. And so you get the smell of saddles and you feel like you're in a barn. Mm. And then there's some great interviews and there's a little, um, uh, a little, uh, is it music or it's fireplace? Oh, yes. There's campfire. A campfire. There's a little campfire looking. in the center of the room. Not really burning, but it looks like it looks burning. Like it's it's burning. really cool. Yeah. So there's a lot of visuals, a lot of sound and the smell. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much information, not only about the saddle makers and going back to the early vaqueros, there's a saddle that dates back from the 1700s mm-hmm. all the way to Ronald Reagan's saddle from the 1990s. That's right. I took a photo of that. So we'll have to put that in the show notes too, so that people can see. But there's a lot of, there's Clark Gable's saddle. Um, there was, who else was Will down? Rogers, Will Rogers, um, Dennis Ricard. Um, and they all rode, which is it's yeah. a pretty cool thing to show, too. The history of California has a lot of entertainers, but also good old cow- cowboys and Indians and everything. That's, you've got everything represented down there. Yes. A lot of um, the vaquero life is the Spanish influence that we have in California, which if you haven't been out here, you should see, too, because the vaquero... Really, the history of California is more about the vaquero than it is about the cowboys and Indians that we think of as like in a 30s and 40s movie or even a, a Will Rogers story, right? So that's how the exhibit's broken down with the early vaqueros, and then it goes into the working saddle, the parade saddle, lots of photographs of Leo Carrillo, Ronald Reagan, the rancheros, great interview with Parma Jackson on the um, uh, on his ranch in Montecito. There's some um, interviews on the Reagan Ranch with uh, Buckaroos talking about um, horsemanship on the Reagan Ranch. Uh, uh, ranch. Mm-hmm. And even his Secret Service guy, or what did you call John him? John Barletta loaned his saddle that Ronald Reagan gave him. It's a beautiful saddle and a lot of history to that that mm-hmm. is in a combination of the interviews that um, you can watch and, and, and all the didactics that are that are giving great information about mm-hmm. saddles. Yeah. Well, you know, um, when I was growing up, uh, we went out to the Alisal in the San Inez Valley, and we stayed at the old Alisal, and a lot of people will relate to that because they're families that have generationally come out every year like a, you know, a, a Memorial Day family vacation is always held at the, at the Alisal. And if you go to the Alisal now, which is still owned by these iconic, this iconic family, you'll see that there's still a history of dude ranching and going out to the lake on horseback and, you know, still living that. And you feel like 
Shumash Indians could be gathering acorns, you know, around you as you as you're out doing this. So it's such a fun thing for people to uh, to come out and visit in the Santa Barbara area. This we're sitting in Santa Barbara, but we're really talking about the history of three counties here: Ventura, San Luis Obispo, and Santa Barbara counties. We're all cattle country that fed probably into these pieces in the museum. Yeah, Barbara Jackson gives a nice interview about the rancheros. He's been a ranchero for over fifty years, and so. We we have a little section about the rancheros and being on the LSO ranch. And there's a section on the sage hens and some of the women's riding groups. We even have a costume from the 1880s of a women's riding dress mm-hmm. and a side saddle. And a side saddle. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's like an English saddle, but of course with the, the two hooky-looking things covered in leather where the ladies looped their knee and then dropped a leg. And it's beautiful. And the dress is in perfect condition. It's just amazing to see. And then, of course, you have photos and, and artwork depicting these things, too, from ever. And anybody who knows anything about early California artists um, should see the museum, too, because the Edward Boreen collection alone is one of the most fantastic things I've ever seen. We've been around Boreen our whole lives. And uh, and what was the other gentleman's name? Harm- Alexander Harmer. We've Thank got you. some wonderful Alexander Harmer's on exhibit. So this exhibit is only up for three months. It's coming down in September. So come and see yeah, it. Yeah, come and see it. So um, what, what's a website that we can send them to? sbhistorical.org. sbhistorical.org. Santa Barbara Historical Museum. But it's Exactly. Easy website. <laughs> exactly. So come see that or Google that and, and find the museum. And there's also, you know, if that's a, a destination for you too, there's also the um, carriage museum, which is, was something that you could definitely see. Yeah. And, uh, Tom over there. Right? Tom Peterson. <laughs> Tom Peterson over there. And, uh, and just the history in Santa Barbara alone really goes back to the Calif- early California history. So if you've got kids that you want to throw in the car and see a little bit of history, this is the place to come and see it. So thank you so much, Lynn, for agreeing to do this interview and teaching us a little bit about how our horses put up with saddles even a hundred years ago. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place in The magic in the language of Dear Monty, how can you say single line lunging is bad when almost all horsemen have been doing it for centuries? I've been saying since bringing my concepts to the public that hitting a horse with a whip to inflict pain is wrong. We have been doing it for centuries. How could it be wrong? I can demonstrate why it's wrong, and I work with horses that have been damaged by using pain in almost every demonstration. It is my opinion that single line lunging causes damage to horses. I am not concerned with whether we have been doing it for centuries. I am only concerned with the harm that it is doing to horses. Many good horsemen are now beginning to agree with me that single line lunging is damaging our horses. Please note the next time you lunge your horse on a single line, how many times he travels with a cross gallop or on the wrong lead. Please note how often your horse carries his head to the outside of the circle and observe the shape on the spine as he travels around in the circle. 
I am not saying that the horseman who is single line lunges is a criminal. I'm saying he doesn't realize that it's a bad procedure. In my next tour, I plan to give as much information as I can by demonstrating with live horses how to improve the process of lunging without these damaging effects. Horsemen and women can judge for themselves when they see the improvement that comes over a horse within 20 minutes or so. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, August 3rd, I want you all to come out to Monty and Shy Boy's celebration of 20 years knowing each other. He was adopted 20 years ago this summer. And July 31st to August 1st is the Monty Special Training. So that's taking place right on top of that. So Monty Special Training will be in USA at Flag is Up Farms. And then September 8th through 10th, we have a Horse Sense and Healing. That's our Veterans and First Responders three-day clinic. September 15th to 16th, Dad and I will be in Missoula. Montana for the Equus International Film Festival. Oh, I bet you that's pretty. Oh, I can't wait. Staying at some really cool places and we've got a little surprise going on in there too. And then October Dad's back touring in the United Kingdom and all over uh, the UK. And then December 8 through 10, we have another Horse Sense and Healing in California. Woohoo! And if you couldn't remember all of that, you can find it all <laughs> at the website, which is montyroberts.com or you can give the folks at Flag is Up Farms a call, 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, go to horsemanshipradio.com, where you can find links and photos and information about our guests and our sponsors. And we love your feedback. It helps us make the show better. So if there's a topic you'd like us to cover, a fascinating horseman that you would love Debbie to talk to, drop us a line and you can do that. On the Facebook page, Monty Roberts. That's all you got to do. Type in Monty Roberts. Or you can follow him on Twitter. (laughs) That was a Twitter, right? (laughs) Yeah, that was a Twitter. Oh, very funny. Twitter. And his handle on Twitter is Monty underscore Roberts. Get the app. That way you'll never miss a show. The app is available for Android or iPhone. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Download it today. It's quick. It's free. It's easy. That's right. And many thanks to those sponsors you spoke of, Omega Fields, Cavallo Horse and Rider, and Monty's Equus Online University. Couldn't do it without you. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.